Let's pray together. Father, it's always a joy for us to gather, and we're so grateful for these times that is built into our week where we fellowship and we greet one another, we encourage one another through praying together. We hear what you're doing around the world for the gospel, and then we reach for our Bibles and we sit still. And so, Father, use this time to teach us and grow us, I pray. And, uh, Father, thank you for uh, just how blessed we are. And help us not to take these times for granted, but to allow your Spirit to work in us, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ through the great gospel and your word. It's in Jesus' name now that we pray and preach. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Grab your Bibles and... Let's go to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 12. We've completed chapter 11 as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel and our study of it. We begin chapter 12. We'll be studying verses 1 through 14 today. We'll not make it all the way through. We'll um, begin this study today. I wonder if you can think of people who really, really irritate you. I was thinking with Howard and Kathy being here uh, about a point of irritation that I was in their lives. Uh, My dad was Howard's pastor. Howard grew up in our church in South Chicago, northern Illinois, where my dad pastored a little Bible church there. And and, um, my dad's name is Eugene. And I want to tell you, Eugene liked Howard, but he didn't like him that much. And when Howard came around after Kathy, um, Eugene made Howard's life pretty miserable for a while. And it was kind of funny to a nine-year-old boy. I didn't really know everything that was going on. Um, But Howard finally weaseled his way in and uh, just kind of wore down the system. And uh, often on weeknights even and uh, so forth, uh, Howard would be in our kitchen. It was the only place to be because mom and dad were in the living room and there was really no other place to be. Um, The problem with the kitchen was that Kathy's younger brother, Van, at about age nine, had this most irritating practice of eating cereal every night before I went to bed. I've told this story before, and you've probably heard it. Howard has, too, I think, from here. I am confident that that had to be like a most irritating thing in your life. This kid is driving me crazy. You know, I got 10 minutes with this girl in the kitchen before I go home, and here this boy is taking 12 minutes to eat cereal. People can irritate us, can't they? And do you know that Jesus irritated people? It's hard for us to understand, but there were people who just couldn't stand Jesus. It is interesting as well to recognize that at some level, there were people that irritated Jesus. That's the dynamic that we have in Matthew chapter 12 as we begin today. We're going to need to lay a groundwork for this passage. So you need to just kind of sit back and take in the information because if you don't get the information that we're going to give today up front, you won't really understand the impact of this passage. And that gets towards the end of it, which we'll pick up next week when Jesus heals the man with a withered hand. It's kind of exhibit A. But you have to get the first part to get the second part. Let's read our text in its entirety. Will you follow along? I'm using the ESV as is my practice. And we're in chapter 12 of Matthew, verses 1 through 14. Let's 
Uh, follow along together as I read God's word. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And that would be the seventh day of the week, Saturday. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God, <clears throat> ate the bread of the presence, or the showbread, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, close quote, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Jesus, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, So which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. Well, what an interesting passage of Scripture, and I want us to just kind of break it down in parts according to the characters that we meet as we begin to read the passage. And, and then we need to kind of take a minute and we need to understand a little background of the passage and answer a few questions. And the first thing that we see in the story, number one, is we see hungry disciples. Number one, hungry disciples. Chapter 12, verse 1. Notice that it says, at that time, Matthew records. Um, Bible students don't know exactly what he's referring to there. It is evidently just at this time of his Galilean ministry. It, it evidently is not particularly noting a specific time other than the general ministry of this hometown area of Galilee in which he's been doing a lot of miracles a lot of ministry with his disciples and has sent the disciples out. They're now back with him. And we notice that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Hungry disciples. So you get the picture, right? Um, there are plentiful fields of grain around. It is a Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples often ministered in communities and in temples on Sabbath days. Jesus would unfold and exposit scripture. Jesus would do healing. He would do miracles. And they had evidently traveled that day to the degree that they had not eaten appropriately. So they were hungry from their day of ministry. They're making their way through grain fields that evidently were planted alongside of walking paths or roads, or they even had paths uh, that would cut through the field out of convenience for the local community. 
You can kind of picture it, can't you? Uh, the grain is ripening. We don't know if it's oats or barley or wheat. Some texts say corn. Most Bible commentaries believe it was some form of, of a grain of wheat or, or barley or oats kind of grain for making flour or bread. You can see the ripened stalks kind of like in our screen picture. And the disciples would walk along. And maybe you've done this before. You just kind of reach out your hand as you're walking. You grab the stalk below the head. You pull your hand up. And you, you rake off all the grains that are getting ripe there. And there they are in your hand. In Luke's gospel, um, in chapter 2, Luke chap- chapter 6, excuse me, it says Luke gives the little bit of information in Luke 6, 1, that the disciples were rubbing the grain in their hands. And you can picture that too, can't you? You grab that grain, you peel it off, you got a little handful of heads of grain, they have little husks on it, and so you rub it in your hand, it's ripe enough that the husks fall off, and then what do you do? You, you blow it off, and then what do you do? You chunk her down, right? And you eat and you chew a little bit, and you spit out a couple little husks like sunflower seeds, and you keep chewing, and then you do it again. For us, we're like... Hey, what's the big deal here? This isn't, the disciples are hungry. And, and one of the things that's helpful for us to understand is to be reminded of an Old Testament provision that the Lord in His infinite wisdom when He gave the law, He, didn't, he did it to help and to encourage and to give guidelines and to protect. In Deuteronomy chapter 24... This is an, excuse me, chapter 23. It's an easy passage to remember because it's Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. So you have 23, 24, 25 of Deuteronomy. There is a provision there that is very interesting. And God, when he gave the Mosaic law, allowed for travelers or neighbors to eat from one another's crops with their hands. In other words, it forbid harvesting with tools or packing away in bags. So you couldn't like put you know, a big old burlap sack around your, your shoulder and go pick your neighbor's, neighbor's apples and say, oh yeah, Moses provided for this. No, it was the idea of kind of like, um, because you don't have McDonald's, you don't have refrigeration, and you're traveling, you need something to eat. So as you travel... Interestingly enough, God thought of these kinds of details and he just said, you are allowed with your hands to eat off your neighbor's fields like that. So you could pick off his fruit trees or his vineyard arbors or his grain. And so what they were doing was provided for in Mosaic law. So that's interesting. And again, we say to ourselves, so what's the big deal? So that that lays the first foundation of our story. We see hungry disciples traveling on the Sabbath, eating grain provided for Deuteronomy chapter 23 and Mosaic law, rubbing, blowing the chaff off, eating it. The second characters in our story, we're going to have to understand a little more deeply. Number two of our message today is hostile Pharisees. We have hungry disciples, but immediately in the text, we're introduced to hostile Pharisees. These guys are pretty interesting. Notice what it says. It says uh, in chapter 12 and beginning, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him. Okay, so in one, it's they attack the disciples in the parallel accounts. And here, they're together. So the disciples and Jesus come under the fire and the angst of the Pharisees. Jesus and his disciples are really just irritating these Pharisees. It's interesting to me that they're following along close enough to watch. 
Look at what your disciples are doing. They're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. All right, so now we kind of fuzz over. Uh, We know a little bit about the Sabbath. That's that seventh day thing. We don't know what in the world are they talking about. It's not lawful. So let's just kind of stop for a minute. And we're going to have kind of a long parenthesis here. And let's talk about the Sabbath for a minute. And this will help us understand uh, the great irritation of the Pharisees. I think it will also help some of us in our congregation today who may have a question about Sabbath and Sabbath worship. What's that all about? So let's remind ourselves that the word Sabbath, first of all, it just means to cease, to stop. That's what Sabbath means. It it means a complete cessation or stopping of something that you're doing. And so the idea was that for six days, you have a routine, you get up, you go to work, you work hard, you feed the dog, you know, you, you, you do all your routines, you have this life that you're living, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing stops. It ceases. That's Sabbath. It stops. That's what it means, to cease, okay? There's the idea. Now, this was first introduced as the seventh day. Where? Back in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, it's not hard for us to look. Let's just flip in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And and if we hurry, it won't hold us back too much. And I want you to just see uh, how it's stated so clearly in Scripture. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verses 1 and through 3. And this is the uh, uh, account of creation where God speaks the worlds into existence. And he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, Genesis 2, 1, verse 2, And the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that God was like, kind of tired out from all this hard work for six days? No, obviously, God is omnipotent. He he knows not the difference between hard and easy. Those aren't words in his vocabulary. It's impossible. There is no extending or expending of energy on God's part. So what's it talking about here? The idea is that it was done, it was complete, and so he ceased from what he was doing. And then when it uses the word rest, it's actually the beginning of a picture that is threaded throughout Scripture that is very important to us. The idea was that it was a, it was a fulfillment. It was a, a joy and satisfaction in the, in the completion and relaxation of what's happening. Notice that it set a pattern. And by the way, this is where the seven, seven day week comes from. The rhythm of a seven-day week comes from the very order of creation. And notice that God marked it as holy. Holy means to be set apart. So it was to be a different day. But you also notice that there was no directive given in Genesis for people to observe the Sabbath, right? There was no directive on that part. So that comes in Exodus chapter 20, and you can turn there real quick and remind yourselves on the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, many, many, many years later, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments, beginning with verse 8, it's the fourth of Ten Commandments, and this is what it says, Exodus 20, beginning with verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters. Now that phrase is really important. You shall not do any work on the Sabbath. Keep that phrase in mind because that is what the Pharisees camp on. Keeping and obeying the letter of the law. All right? And it's just a general statement, right? You shall not do any work on the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. It is a time of ceasing, and you give it unto the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, not you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days, okay, so the Mosaic, the Mosaic giving of this directive and law is based upon the creation order, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Go back to Matthew 12. That lays a groundwork for our understanding of where the Sabbath came from. Now, it raises some questions for us a little bit. Uh, one of the things you need to understand, and, and, or, or the, one of the questions that we need to answer and we need to understand is this whole question of how come of the Ten Commandments we don't observe the Sabbath today? That is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because you do need to know, and we don't have time to study this out, the Sabbath is a huge topic in the Old Testament. It is an interesting topic. And God took it so seriously that when He gave it to Israel, He told them to, to mark the sixth day, to observe the Sabbath, and that if they didn't observe these Sabbaths, that he would remove his blessing from them. And in fact, the death penalty was even given for not observing the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? God is so serious with Israel about keeping the Sabbath that he gave it the death penalty. And then we ask ourselves, well, how come today we don't worry about the seventh day Sabbath? What is that all about? Well, the short answer for us this morning is that when you study the Ten Commandments, you'll recognize that nine out of ten of the commandments are moral directives. They are moral law. They are unchanging, giving of, of, of rules, for lack of a better way of putting it, that this is how you live, and when you don't do that, it's immoral, it is sinful. They are all based on, on the character of God. The, the commandments spring right out of the character and essence of who God is. It is a, reflect, a reflection of who He is. And nine out of ten of them are that way. So, so that's why if you lie, it's a sin, right? It's, it's immoral. Why? Because God is truth. And so when you lie, you deny the very character of God. All right? And so when you commit adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery. What is that? Well, what, well God, God is a God of purity and faithful love. God never, ever betrays those He loves. And an adulterer does, see. And so these laws are given. Lying, stealing, coveting, murder. Well, you can't murder, that's immoral. Why is it immoral? Because we're, we're created in the image of Almighty God. But which one of the ten is left out? Why did I say nine out of ten? It's this one. It's not a moral law, it's a ceremonial law. The Sabbath day is a 
ceremonial law and it was given directly to Israel and it was given to Israel and you can study this out in the Old Testament. It's very interesting that one of the things God wanted for his people is he wanted them to, to be set apart from all of their neighbors. Remember all the ites, the Amalekites and the Perizzites and all the ites, Canaanites, all these wicked people, the ones that burn their babies and and the ones that worshipped idols and cut themselves with knives when they worshipped. And they were just pagan. And they worshipped idols. And they worshipped the sun, moon, and the sky, and the earth. God's people don't do that. They have a creator God who loves them and who cares for them. And so these commands, they were not given to burden down the Israelites. They were given to protect their culture and their society. And to make them live with decency. And order. That's why it's mind-boggling nowadays for some city hall group to send their maintenance guys out in the middle of the night with a backhoe and a boom and a chain to lift up a Ten Commandments monument and sneak it out in the middle of the night because they're afraid of the community uprising, I guess. You want to be known for removing the Ten Commandments from your community? Oh, that's really bad. This is told nothing could be further from the truth. You see, as we remove the Ten Commandments from foundational realities of living out in our culture and society, we remove the protection of our society. And it becomes chaotic. And then we're like the book of Judges, where we don't have any guidelines. And everybody just does that, which is right in his own eyes. Right? So it's crazy. And so when God gave the Ten Commandments, He did it to protect Israel. He did it to to demonstrate that they were a peculiar people to protect them, to identify them. And to show the world that my people are different. So the number one reason to the answer for why we don't observe the Sabbath is that we are not Israel. We are the church. This is a whole new era. We're a new people. Yes, we're a peculiar people, Peter said. The other reason is that in the entire New Testament, in the New Covenant, there is no reteaching of Sabbath observance. You will find repeatedly in the New Covenant that there is continual, <coughs> excuse me, and repetitious teaching of all nine of the other moral commandments. And so it's not retaught. And that's why in the early church, in the book of Acts, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of Revelation, you see different verses there that imply and that you see that the, that the the way that they shifted was that they began to gather as believers on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, not Saturday. And there wasn't a command to observe the Sabbath. And in fact, you could take time to look in Colossians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 4, Romans 14. Those passages the Apostle Paul clearly taught, don't let anybody teach you that one day is more important than another day. Don't don't let anybody put you in bondage, he would say, telling you you have to worship on a certain day. The other thing that's important on this study that's very interesting and and encouraging is that in Hebrews chapter 4 and and also other places in Hebrews, but Hebrews 4 is a good chapter you can jot down and read, you'll find there, guess in the New Testament, where we find our, quote-unquote, ceasing from work, our Sabbath rest. We find that Christ is our Sabbath rest. It's interesting, isn't it? Christ is our Sabbath rest. So, all of that to just make clear that there's no question about the fact that we're not violating the Ten Commandments. 
It also helps set the stage to understand that in Israel of old, the Sabbath was so important that the death penalty was given to protect it. God's blessing was promised if you keep it. His judgment was promised. And indeed, they ended up, um, they ended up in uh, uh, bondage for over a hundred years because of not keeping the Sabbath. So this is the mindset of the Pharisees as we look back at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 2. The other part that you need to understand about the Pharisees is that they absolutely loved the Sabbath and they had for centuries made up laws to protect the Sabbath. Remember I said, notice it said, and you shall not work on this day in the Exodus passage. Well, what began to happen is that the Pharisees began to make up rules defining what is work. And that's kind of a logical question, right? So you get this general statement, you shall not work on the Sabbath. And so, what does that mean? Can I feed my dog? Is that work? Uh, if it snows, can I shovel snow? If, if we have company over, mom's cooking and we wash dishes, is that work? What does it mean? And so, they began to define down exactly what this meant, and it never ended. In fact, there's volumes written, they called, part of those volumes were called the Talmud. And the Talmud was a compilation, a gathering of writing of Jewish rabbis where they explained and exposited the law. The problem with it was, they went beyond what the Word of God says, they went to the point where the, the Sabbath, which was given as a blessing to God's people to rest and to refresh themselves in Him, and to have a change of pace, and to worship, it became a day of burden and bondage. And that's why, as the Pharisees are watching Jesus' disciples come down the trail, grab grain in their hands, do all this, you're going to hear in a minute how it was absolutely violating all of the codes in their book written about how to keep the Sabbath. And in fact, it's implied in the passage that they were even walking beyond what they were supposed to walk. You see, the Pharisees had even defined how many steps you were allowed to take on the Sabbath or it was work. I think the best way for me to, to demonstrate uh, more detail about the Sabbath now is to quote directly from some commentary by Dr. John MacArthur. You just sit back and listen to this and try to imagine. Okay, so you have the Talmud. The Talmud is at least two volumes. In the Talmud, there are, there are 24 chapters that are filled with detail about the Sabbath. Now, let me just read this. In one section of the Talmud, and there are at least two such sections, Dr. MacArthur says, but in one of them, there are 24 chapters listing all of the Sabbath laws. So this is the rabbis, decade after decade, taking their Bibles, the Mosaic Law, and then saying, well, this is what this means. And then they teach this to their people, and they begin all these lists. And then it became very important for them to keep all this. And that's how they define spirituality. One rabbi spent two and a half years trying to understand just one of these chapters. There's 24. If you just extrapolate that, there is a lifetime of one man just trying to figure out all the stuff he was supposed to do on the Sabbath. For example, you couldn't travel more than 3,000 feet from your house unless on Friday you had planted some food 3,000 feet away. Then when you got there and had food, that would become, quote, the definition of a home 
because there was food there and you could then go another 3,000 feet. Wherever there was a narrow street or an alley, if you put a rope or a wire or a board across from the dwelling of one side of the alley to the other side, the other dwelling, it then created what they defined as an entrance. So then once you had an entrance, it was therefore a home and it could be defined as the entrance to a street and you could walk 3,000 more feet. And so they had figured out how to keep adding 3,000 feet onto all the things they could watch so that they could get as far as they wanted, even on a Sabbath, and still say they kept the Sabbath. Things could be lifted up or put down. See, you weren't allowed to work. So they decided, well, if you can't work, that means you can't pick up heavy things or that would be work. You could lift something in a public place and you could put it down in a private place or you could lift it up in a private place and you could put it down in a public place. You couldn't lift it up in a wide place and put it in a legally free place or lift it in a legally free place and put it down in a wide place. Rabbis for years sat around trying to figure out what was a wide place and what was legally free place. You could never carry a burden that weighed more than a dried fig. That's what they define. Okay, if you pick up something heavier than a dried fig, now you're picking up a burden. That would be work. That violates the Sabbath. That's a sin. You could carry something that weighed half of a dried fig twice. (laughs) So there was a long list of things that you couldn't eat on the Sabbath. There was forbidden food on the list that could be consumed no larger than an olive. If you have half of an olive in your mouth but found it was rotten and you spit it out, you couldn't put the other half in because your mouth had tasted it as if it were a whole olive, they said. Go figure. If you threw an object up into the air with one hand and caught it with your other hand, it was a violation of the Sabbath. This isn't in the Word. This isn't in... Moses didn't give this. This is what they are writing down. And chapter after chapter after chapter. If you caught it with the same hand, if you threw it up in the air, it was okay. If it was near the Sabbath and you reached out for your own, for your food and the Sabbath overtook you and you'd, you had to drop some of your food before you drew your arm back or you'd be carrying a burden on the Sabbath. So whatever time sundown was, I guess. A tailor couldn't carry a needle on the Sabbath lest he would be tempted to sew something that ripped. A scribe couldn't carry his pen on the Sabbath because he might write. A pupil couldn't carry his books because he might read. You couldn't examine anyone's clothing because you might find an insect there and kill it. And that would violate the Sabbath according to their rules. Wool could could not be dyed. Nothing could be sold or bought. Nothing could be washed. A letter could not be sent, even if you put it in the hand of a heathen for delivery. No fire could be lit. And that's why today even conservative and orthodox Jews have a time switch on their lighting system so that the lights go on automatically on the Sabbath. Cold water could be poured on warm, but warm water could not be poured on cold. An egg could not be boiled, even by laying it in the sun and the sand, which was a common practice. You couldn't take a bath for fear water would spill on the floor, and the floor then, that would be washing the floor if you wiped up the water. That would be work. If, If there was a lit candle, you couldn't blow it out. Chairs couldn't be moved because... They tended to drag their leg and create a a rut in the ground. And if you created a rut, that would be plowing and that would be work. And that's a violation. A woman couldn't look into a glass because she might see a gray hair and pluck it out. That would be... Jewelry couldn't be worn because it weighed more than a dried fig. 
When it came to grain and food, you couldn't carry more grain in your hand than would fit into a lamb's mouth. You couldn't leave a radish in salt because it would become a pickle. This is just a sampling of it. There's 24 chapters like this, and one guy spent two and a half years studying just one of those chapters, trying to figure this stuff out, and then the Pharisees loved to believe that they could keep all this, and then they burdened the people with it. And that's what Pharisees are. There were laws about writing and about getting dirt off your clothes. It's interesting, if you had a false tooth and it weighed more than a fig, you had to take it out. Otherwise, it would be carrying a burden that weighed more than a fig. That was the measure of weight. 39 things that were commonly forbidden. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding, sifting with a sieve, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning wool, putting in the weaver's loom, making two threads, weaving two threads, separating two threads, making a knot or undoing a knot, sewing two stitches, only one stitch was allowed, tearing in order to sew two stitches, catching a deer or killing, skinning or salting it, preparing its hide. It just goes on and on. MacArthur ends this section and I'll just stop. And he says, do you know what the Sabbath was by then? Nothing but a pain in the neck. It's right in that. For the sake of our understanding of our passage, and when we get to the story of the man with the withered hand next week, the other thing you need to know is that medicinally, if somebody was dying and it was the Sabbath, the only thing you were allowed to do was bind them up or help them enough to keep them from dying, but you couldn't do anything to cure them. So you had to get them over through the Sabbath and then you could work on them. And that's why when we get to it next week, the guy with the withered hand is such a perfect exhibit A for Jesus to put it in the face of the Pharisees because he didn't need his hand healed on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees loved to judge people. What you need to realize too is that the part about them rubbing their hands together, listen, In Exodus chapter 34, under Mosaic law, God forbid reaping on the Sabbath day. You are not to harvest or reap on the Sabbath day. But to help us understand our passage today, in the mind of the Pharisees, based upon their outrageous and ridiculous set of rules, they had defined down that to rub the heads of grain in your hand was the same as threshing. And if you blew off the chaff in your hand, it was regarded as winnowing. And if you happened to bruise or crush some of the heads of grain while you did this, it was considered grinding. And all of that would mean you were harvesting grain, you were threshing grain. That violated the Sabbath. So here comes the, here comes the disciples. They're hungry. They take the grain, rub it in their hands, blow off the chaff, chunk it in their mouth. Keep it on walking. Do it again. And you know the Pharisees are watching and they know that they've walked more than 3,000 steps today. And they know that they're not being careful with harvesting grain. And they are incensed because they loved the Sabbath. They didn't love God. They loved the rules. They loved themselves. They loved the piety with which they lived. They loved to look down their nose at other people. They loved to get into other people's business and to judge them. You ever do that? I read a story that Chuck Swindoll included in his book, Grace Awakening. He tells the story of a missionary couple that was on the field in a foreign mission place, and they had a team of missionaries there. 
And the missionary couple that was on the field loved peanut butter. And so it was not available on the foreign field where they lived. And so they had arranged with some friends to buy peanut butter on occasion and send it to them. Chuck Swindoll was talking to a pastor friend who was telling him this story with a broken heart. So the pastor looked at Chuck and he said, those missionaries are home because of peanut butter. Swindoll said, what are you talking about? He said, the other missionary couple on the team felt that the couple that was eating peanut butter in the privacy of their own home and enjoying peanut butter on occasion as a treat from home, no one knew of it except them. They felt that they were not spiritual because they had not denied themselves that luxury. And when they're on the field and in foreign missions work, they ought to be willing to take up their cross and deny themselves, and that it was wrong for them to have that peanut butter sent to them, and they could not resolve that to the point that the peanut butter couple went home. Isn't that how we are a little bit? Always watching other people, thinking that we're maybe a little better than other people. We need to conclude now, but we're going to pick this up next week, and all this is groundwork for today. Before we go, though, um, can you see how under the pharisaical rule and scrutiny that the keeping of the Sabbath had become a burden? Can you see why the verses right above this, our Lord Jesus would look at the masses and he looked at the Pharisees and he would say to them, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy as opposed to the yoke of the laws of the Pharisees. You know, there's an interesting parallel is spiritually speaking for us that we should think about before we go. We have to take time to lay a groundwork. Otherwise, we have no clue why the Pharisees are upset with the disciples. But do you know at a different level, there are people who are burdened down with your own set of rules trying to be good enough to get to God? You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to, trying to be nice. You're trying to do enough nice things. You're trying to put money in the offering plate, help little old ladies across the street, you know, get involved in little work projects at the school, in the community, pick up trash with Adopt a Highway. And you're pretty sure... That you're too good to go to hell. You're pretty sure that you're good enough. You're pretty sure that when God sees that your good works outweigh your bad works. But deep inside, you don't know. And maybe you're burdened down with trying to be good enough. Can I, can I tell you today, can I invite you today to come to the cross where your Sabbath rest waits. And take the burden and the trappings of whatever system you've built inside your own thinking and in your own heart of trying to be good enough to please a holy God and trying to make up some system to get to heaven. And by the way, the world is filled with these kinds of religions. And you don't have to count beads. And you don't have to go to confession with a man. And you don't have to go knock on doors in a foreign country with a white shirt on. You just come to Jesus and you lay down your sin and the burden of that sin and He will give you rest. Have you entered into the Sabbath rest of our Lord Jesus? It's our great salvation. Listen, you'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure out if you can eat the other half of the fig or whether you can eat peanut butter when your neighbor's not home. Forget what everybody else thinks. 
Come to the cross, lay your burden down, and get, receive that Sabbath rest that is in Christ. His burden is light. You know why His burden is light? Because He carries it for you. He took the baggage of your sin, brought it upon Himself, went to the cross, He who kept the law, He became your substitute, the perfect Lamb, who once for all satisfied the wrath of a holy God so that you could come lay down your baggage and lay down the nonsense of your rules that you're making up. And you come, and this is what grace is, receiving what you don't deserve and that you didn't do for yourself. He did it for you. That's grace. And that's why we never get tired of singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because we're all sinners, and the wages of our sin is death, but there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Don't try to keep the law. You can't do it. Well, there's a lot more to this passage, and it'll be helpful to us. But listen... The most important thing is, have you entered into the rest of our, sal- of our salvation in Christ? Let Him give you your righteous- His righteousness for your sinfulness. Amen? Why don't we just stand and we'll close with prayer. Before I pray, why don't you be thinking about yourself for a moment? Are you burdened down? Somehow trying to please people? Somehow trying to be good enough? Somehow trying to... to think that you can somehow get into heaven you can't you can't the only way you can do it is by laying down your burden it would it would be something like this heavenly father i know i'm a sinner and i and i come to christ and i lay that sin down i ask your forgiveness i want to become a new creation in christ Why don't you just let God forgive you right now? Come to Jesus, my friend. Lay your burden down. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. So, Father, you know our hearts and our minds today. You know the things that have us all twisted up and have us all in angst. And you know the people here who are living in fear. Maybe even the people closest to them don't even know that they worry about dying They worry about standing before you. Would you help them just to lay their burden down and receive with wide open arms your Sabbath rest and enter into your rest and to know the forgiveness of sin by grace through faith in Christ alone once for all. Please accomplish your purposes, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.